Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for how you've revealed your word to us through the book of 1 Peter, and we thank you for how we have living hope. Please help us now as we finish up this sermon series. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we are wrapping up our sermon series. We've been walking through the book of 1 Peter for about the last three months. The title of this sermon series has been Living Hope, and I hope it has been an encouragement to your soul to think about how God gives us hope. In today's sermon, I want to walk very, very quickly through the last five verses of 1 Peter. And then I want to zoom out and do a recap, an overview of this book we've been studying for the last three months. So first, I would like to read 1 Peter 5, verses 10 through 14. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Now just a quick note here. Babylon is probably a reference to Rome, and it's not a compliment. Babylon was a wicked place in the Old Testament. But even so, isn't it encouraging to think that there, there were Christians in Rome there in that time? Even though it was called Babylon, there were believers there. Now, this passage that I just read actually has a lot of themes in it that I'm going to cover in my recap. So again, I just plan to walk through this passage very quickly first. And I want to point your attention, first of all, to the word suffered in verse 10. Isn't it interesting that Peter talks about suffering for a little while? It's the second time he's done this in his letter. He did it also in 1.6. When we suffer, nothing about it feels little. It doesn't feel like a small amount of suffering, and it doesn't feel like it lasts for only a little while. So why does Peter twice talk about suffering for a little while? Well, it's because... He knew that God is the God who restores and who brings his people into eternal glory. Two wonderful things there. The first one there, restore, is the same word used for when the disciples were mending their fishing nets. Think about them going out fishing all day and they come back and they notice there's some tears in their nets and they they mend those nets to make them ready for service again. The theologian Robert Mount says of this word that God will restore the damage and fit us for continued service. So in that sense, Peter could be talking about how God continually restores and equips us in this life. As we get damaged through life, God restores us. Or this verse could also be talking about our eternal restoration in which God will make everything perfect. The theologian Wayne Grudem says in that light that all loss will soon be made right and that for eternity. So this this restoration, it could be either an ongoing restoration now, or it could be that final restoration later. I'm not exactly sure which one is meant, and it's probably pretty true to think of God doing both of those things for us anyways. Both in light of God's presence with us in the midst of suffering, and in light of God bringing us into eternal glory, we really can learn to view our sufferings as small and temporary. This is because of the grace of of God, like it says in verse 10. And then like it says in verse 11, power belongs to God forever and ever. So he is both good enough, he's gracious enough, and he is strong enough to help us, now and forever. And then verses 12 through 14 sound like a very typical ending to a letter in the Bible. Peter mentions Silas, who helped with this letter in some way, and he mentions Mark, who served with him. 
as well as the believers in Babylon, again, probably meaning those in the church at Rome. He encouraged people to stand fast in God's grace and to remember to pursue fellowship in the body of believers. The, the kiss of love was almost certainly some sort of sign of Christian fellowship. And Peter ends by saying, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Jesus Christ died and was raised again so that we might have peace with God. Okay, so now, over the last three months, we have looked at every verse in the book of First Peter. So we could just kind of close this book up and, and put it away, but I really like to end a sermon series like this by doing a recap. So I tried to zoom out this week and look at the broad themes in the book of First Peter. I read it and reread it. I wrote down themes. Before I give you mine, though, I, just, I want to ask you a question. What has stood out to you about the book of First Peter? I would hope that every one of you who has sat through this sermon series would be able to tell other people what the book of 1 Peter is about, that you'd be able to pick out some of the themes, that you'd have some favorite verses or favorite passages. Maybe you want to read the book of 1 Peter again today to do your own recap. Because I, I pray that we will all remember things about 1 Peter for a long, long time, that God's word will be written on our hearts in that way. So what I want to do with this recap now of the book of 1 Peter is to, to focus on some repeated and important themes in the book. I have three main categories here in my overview. So the first category is suffering. As I've said before, I counted 15 times in the five chapters of 1 Peter that our suffering is mentioned. I've also counted 11 times that the suffering of Jesus is mentioned. Now that's an important point to remember. As we face suffering in this world, and we will, we're supposed to do so following the example of the one who suffered and died for us. First Peter 2.21 says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When Jesus suffered, he didn't retaliate. He didn't return insult with insult. Instead, he lived his life as a blessing for all who would believe in him. Now think about that. Have you suffered lately? How did you respond? Did you lash out at people? Or did you, by faith, trust that God will bring you through? We all face suffering in this life, and as I've mentioned throughout this series, that suffering can come from a lot of different directions. It can come from our own sins. It can come from the sins of others. It can come because we live in a fallen world. Things like disease and natural disaster and even the coronavirus would fit in this category. Also, we're told that some suffering comes because of our enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion. And we're even told that some suffering comes because God himself wills it. Now that's an interesting concept, but of course we know that God is good as he allows that suffering. But we will face suffering in this world. As Christians, we face all the kinds of suffering I've mentioned just now, as well as the suffering that comes when we resist temptation. So God sees all of this. He knows that it's difficult for us to walk through this life. Jesus even experienced uh, much of this kind of suffering as well. In fact, it says in Scripture that he suffered when he was tempted. So please know that when you suffer, you're facing something common to mankind. And God uses this suffering for really good purposes if we will face it by faith. So again, are you going through any suffering right now? Perhaps it's an illness that you've been struggling with. Perhaps it's some sin that you're suffering through. And in which case, of course, you should repent. 
or perhaps it's a strained or a broken relationship, or perhaps it's even frustration over how our governing officials are handling the, handling the coronavirus, or even how our church is handling the coronavirus. We all face suffering, but not everyone faces it well. Let's learn to face our suffering well. So how do we do that? Well, let me move on now to my second category in my recap of 1 Peter. The second category is hope. We could call it living hope. At the beginning of this sermon series, I picked out 1 Peter 1.3 as my key verse for the book, and I'm going to stick with it. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that verse. The word hope is mentioned five times in 1 Peter, and in this verse I just read, this living hope comes from God's mercy, it comes through the resurrection of Jesus, and it comes through our new birth. That is, it comes to us when we believe in Jesus and receive him as Savior and Lord. So this hope is freely offered to us from God. Again, God knows we go through difficult times here, but he wants us to be able to cling to hope in those times. And then, even our suffering has purpose. And if we have hope in the midst of suffering, we allow God to bring us through the refining fire because we know that there is glory on the other side. Did you know that that's one main reason why you suffer here? One of the main reasons you suffer is because God allows it in your life for his good purposes. We are so tempted to think that our suffering is pointless or we just hope it goes away. Now, I'm not saying that we need to ask for suffering, but I am saying that when it comes, we should face it with hope. Now, on this topic of hope, I want to tell you two more reasons from the book of 1 Peter that we should have hope. So, my second point in this recap is the idea of hope, and I want to give you two more reasons now in this point of why we can have hope. It's because Jesus is going to be revealed again, and it's because of the glory to come. Peter mentions the fact that Jesus is coming again five times in this letter. Not that Jesus is coming five times, but he mentions it five times. Peter reminds us of the first coming of Jesus when he came to die for our sins and to be raised again. But Peter also looks ahead to the second coming of Jesus. Listen to how it's said in 1 Peter 1.13b. He says, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As we face suffering and temptation, we are to consider the fact that Jesus is coming again. And when we think about it like that, the, the promise of his coming should strengthen us to endure. That's the funny thing about hope. Our hope is in something that hasn't happened yet, but it has been promised by God. So we endure sufferings as we think about Jesus coming again. And then, like I just said, we also do this because of the glory that is coming when Jesus will be revealed. 1 Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Or like we already looked at in 5.10, it says that God has called us to his eternal glory in Christ. Jesus is glorious. He will return again gloriously. And when he comes again, all of us who believe in him will get to share with him in his glory. One of the mind-boggling gifts that God is planning to give to his people is that we get to share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ. As you think about the wonderful inheritance that God has in store for his beloved son, Jesus Christ, then we think that we get to share in that inheritance. 
And we did not deserve that. But in his wisdom and mercy and grace, God is pleased to bring us into that eternal glory. So we can have great hope now. And, and by the way, this hope, it should grow in us as we keep walking with Christ. As we keep thinking about Christ and eternity and glory and his coming again, our hope should grow and our faith should be strengthened. And by the way, this hope should show on the outside. People should look at us and wonder why we have such great hope. 1 Peter 3.15, which I know is a, probably a favorite for many of you in the book of 1 Peter, it tells us to be ready to give an answer when people ask us why we have hope. Now think about that. Non-believers face suffering too. But they don't have any sure hope of getting past their suffering. They have hope, but none of their hope is sure if it is not rooted in God's truth. But we have living hope. Hope should ooze out of us. People should be asking us about the hope that we have. Are they asking you? Now again, hope is something that is promised in the future, but it is something that strengthens us for what we face now. And this leads me to my third and final key concept in my overview of the book of 1 Peter. And the third concept here is the gospel. Peter only uses the word gospel three times in this letter, but you can see it's a key concept as you consider how he talks about what Jesus did for us and how we should live in light of that. One of my favorite descriptions of the gospel comes in 1 Peter 2.24, which says, uh, even though it doesn't use the word gospel, it says this about Jesus. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The gospel is that Jesus came and died for us. He suffered for us and died for our sins. He had no sin of his own. Yet he willingly bore our sins in his body, dying for us on the cross. He did that so that we could be saved. That's where our hope is. That's why we can look forward to glory. Jesus suffered for us. Now when we suffer, we might think about how we can get out of it. And there's this really interesting part of the Gospels where Jesus was talking about how he could have called on the angels to stop his arrest and crucifixion. So we sometimes think about how to get out of suffering. Jesus willingly suffered for us. Or in our suffering, we might blame other people for it. And, and as you think about Jesus, again, dying on the cross and there were people insulting him, he didn't blame them. In fact, he prayed for them. Prayed for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. As Jesus did that for us, suffered and died for us, he purchased salvation for us, new birth and new life. That was an act of grace. And there's that word grace again. I counted eight times in the book of 1 Peter where the word grace shows up. This word can mean kindness or favor or gift. In his grace, God didn't leave us to be dead in our sins forever. In his grace, he sent Jesus so that we could have new life and living hope. You see, there was a life we couldn't live in our own power. We had all shown ourselves to be sinful, falling short of God's glory. Yet, God graciously redeems us through Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful gift? Have you received that gift of life from God? Have you received Jesus as Savior and Lord? If not, I want to encourage you to do that right now. I would be glad to talk with you about this. If any of you are unsure about whether you know Jesus, please know you can know him as Savior and Lord. You can have forgiveness. You can enter into that relationship with Jesus today. 
And if you have received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to urge you to consider that we should live a new life. 1 Peter 2.24 talks about not living for sin, but for righteousness. 1 Peter 4.2 talks about not living for evil human desires, but for the will of God. 1 Peter 1.14-16 talks about not living for evil or ignorant desires, but for holiness. Because God is holy, we should live holy lives as well. So the gospel is this grace-filled invitation. It's an invitation to have all of our sins forgiven, and it's an invitation into a new life with God. Having received Jesus and being brought into this new life, there are some things we should then do in response. Okay, so this, this third topic of my overview here is the gospel, which is a gracious gift. But now I want to talk, still in this third point, uh, very quickly I want to walk through four responses that we should have to the gospel. For, for those of us who have already received Jesus as Savior and Lord, there are four things we should continue to do in light of the gospel. The first one of them is the concept of doing good. Eight times in this book, Peter talks about doing good. And it's often in the context of suffering. Even if we suffer, we should keep doing what's right. Even if we suffer unjustly, we should keep doing what's right. Think about that one. When we suffer, we can easily be tempted to lash out or to correct what was done wrong to us. But that is not the example of Jesus. He didn't lash out. We should keep doing what's right. So no insults, no retaliation. Only Christ-like love and mercy and blessing. So how are you doing at that? Whatever happens to you, I pray that you will respond by doing what is good and right. Even as you think about getting into disagreements these days with people, or you get into a Facebook argument with people, I want to urge you only, only, only to do what is right. We trust that God is our judge. We have the living hope of living with him forever. And in that sense, we can entrust everything about it to God, and we can continue to do what is good. Okay, second, in response to the gospel, we should have self-control. Three times in First Peter, he uses a word for self-control. It's a word that means sober-minded. It can mean the opposite of drunk. So you think about when a person is drunk, you could say that the alcohol is in control. But we are to live self-controlled lives. Now, each time Peter uses this word self-control, he pairs it with another word. Let me walk through them really quickly. So one time he pairs it with a word that means preparing our minds for action. So in 113, that's the one where we're told to have our minds ready with self-control so that we can set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. Another time the word self-controlled is paired with a word that can mean wise-minded. And then the last time self-controlled is used, it's paired with a word that means to be alert or awake. Let me say it this way. We are not animals. We do not have to respond simply according to how we feel in the moment. We are human beings made in the image of God, and we can exercise self-control. Do you know that? We can respond wisely, even in difficult circumstances, even in suffering. So how are you doing at that? Do you find yourself responding in the heat of the moment or responding according to sinful desires? Do you see yourself falling into temptation? You see, wise, alert, self-controlled people can respond with grace even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of unjust suffering. Self-controlled people can turn away from sin. We don't have to follow other people into sin. 
Okay, then a third response we should have to the gospel is submission. Peter uses the word for submission six times in his letter. It's a word I've, I've mentioned repeatedly in this series that means to arrange or to order under. The idea, like I've said repeatedly, is that God is our ultimate authority and we would be wise to figure out how we fit underneath his authority. Now, the way Peter applies this is perhaps a little bit surprising. He doesn't say, I follow God, so I don't have to follow any man. Actually, he says something more like this. Because I follow God, I submit to the authorities God has put in place. Peter even applies this word submission to slaves who serve under harsh masters. We Americans... We have a lot to learn about submission and authority. We like to think of ourselves as individuals who are free. Now, praise the Lord. In Christ, we are as free as we can be. We have been set free from sin. But in Christ, we are also to recognize how we fit underneath the authorities God has put in place. That's in regard to our governing authorities. That's in regard to employment. That's in regard to marriage. That's in regard to church leadership. All of these areas are mentioned in 1 Peter. So ultimately, we are to submit to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But one of the ways we show our submission to him is to arrange or order ourselves under the authorities God has put in place. And then I have one final way here that we should respond to the gospel. It's praise. Praise. In 1.3, talking about our new birth into living hope, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1.7, in this wonderful verse that speaks of God's wisdom and allowing us to go through suffering so that we can be refined into the people God wants us to be, it says the end result is praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In 2.9, we learn that one of our jobs as priests in God's house is that we are to declare his praises. I love that section of 1 Peter. I, I don't, I'm not going to take a ton of time to dive into it right now, but, but God brings us to Jesus, builds us into this temple, and we become priests in this temple offering spiritual sacrifices. And one of those sacrifices we are to offer is that we are to declare God's praises. When I think about declaring God's praises, I think about it in three ways. Number one, we declare God's praises to him in worship. Number two, we declare God's praises to other believers in Christian fellowship as we share scripture with each other, as we encourage each other with what God is doing in our lives. We, we praise God in that way. And then third, we declare God's praises to the lost people of this world by proclaiming the gospel to them. God has done so much for us. Let us praise him. This praise is also spoken of as we use our spiritual gifts to serve the Lord and to serve others. And this praise is even mentioned in 4.16 as we suffer for bearing the name of Christ. We can praise God in every circumstance of life knowing that he pours out amazing blessings on us and that even in our suffering, he is up to good things. And I think what happens when we learn to live our lives in light of the gospel like that is that we grow in hope. So that brings me back to what I think is perhaps the key theme of the book of First Peter. Hope. Living hope. We, we've talked today about how to suffer well. We've talked about the glory that will come when Jesus is revealed. We've talked about the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of that wonderful, gracious gift, and how we should respond to the gospel by doing what is good, with self-control, learning how to submit properly, and, and praising God through it all. But I want to close this sermon now by talking about all of that in light of hope. Again, as Christians, we have amazing 
hope. We know that Jesus already came once to die for our sins. We know that God leads us in ways that are good, even if it means some suffering. We know that God has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, to guide us into what's right, and to strengthen us for whatever he has for us. We know that Jesus is coming again. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about? That God is not going to just leave us here alone, but that Jesus is coming again for us. So we should be able to face whatever God allows to come our way with living hope. Now I want to end this sermon today simply by reading what I think might be the key section in all of 1 Peter. I've mentioned that 1 Peter 1.3 is perhaps... It's the verse that I've picked out as the key verse. I'm not saying it is the key verse. I'm saying it's the one I've picked out. And then similarly, I think 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9 could be viewed as a key passage. So I just want to read this passage, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, and then close us in prayer. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this living hope that we have in Christ that has come because of your mercy, that's come in this new birth that we have. God, thank you that even in the midst of suffering we can have hope because we trust in you. We trust that you are restoring us and that you are bringing your people into glory. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us to have hope, that you would strengthen us to remember that Jesus is coming again, that you would strengthen us to remember eternity. And in that, Lord, that we would be strengthened to face whatever you allow to come our way. May we trust that what you allow is good and that you are using it for your refining purposes. Lord, may our hearts even rejoice when you're going through that kind of work in us. And then, Lord, in response to your wonderful, gracious gospel, I pray that we would be people who continue to do what is good. Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to be self-controlled people, that you would help us to learn how to submit properly to authorities, and that we would overflow with praise and thanksgiving as we walk in this life in which you lead us and strengthen us and guide us. Would you please fill us with the Holy Spirit to live according to your ways and your word. God, we are so grateful that you have revealed Jesus to us. We are so grateful that you have revealed your word to us. Now, Lord, please strengthen us to live in this world with living hope. Help us to shine as lights to others that they might see the hope that we have, that they would even ask us about it, and that we would be able to point them to Jesus. So, Lord, thank you for being with us and for strengthening us. Thank you for our living hope through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.